Welcome to New Cities Sermon Podcast. Join us as we root deep in God's Word, expecting to be encouraged, challenged, and formed to be more like Jesus together. Let's get into the scriptures now. We're going to jump right in because we're continuing our series where we're talking about formed to flourish, choosing things that lead to us being formed a certain way so that we can flourish in life. And today we're going to be challenged to choose your church family. Last week we were challenged to choose the gathering, which is what I was just talking about during the announcements. But today, choose your church family or love each other. Now, I think um, love is a challenging thing because we don't really know how to talk about it. We know uh, we talk about falling in love. We can talk about like being in love and loving someone else as a way to express ourselves or, or even love in our culture. We talk about love being acceptance. But I think because we don't really get God's love, we really don't know how to give love. We don't know how to do this. We don't know how to choose our church family by loving one another. There's this movie I really like called Dan in Real Life. And Dan is played by Steve Carell. You can go to the next slide. Dan's played by Steve Carell, and he's a widower who has three children. His wife and their mother has just died, and he takes his three children on this vacation. And sometime in the middle of this vacation, they've left the city. They're in the country. He finds out that his daughter has a boyfriend who has gotten on a bus and now has joined the vacation. And he's pretty upset. So he pulls his daughter aside and says, like, hey, you really can't bring this guy here, you know? And she's like, but I love him. I love him. I love him. I love him. And he, and he says, no, you don't. Uh, infatuation is not love. Attraction is not love. Well, he, he takes the boy kind of by the collar and leads him to the car where some of his family is going to drive him back to the bus station. And he says, you know, your parents are going to pick you back up when you go back on the bus back to the city. And, and he says to him, listen, I think you should know this. I think you should know that love is a dangerous feeling, which is what every dad would say to his daughter and his daughter's boyfriend. And, and the boy says, no, sir. And Dan, played by Steve Carell, says, are you, are you arguing with me? And the boy says, no, I'm just, it's just. And then he has this amazing line. He goes, love is not a feeling, it's an ability. And Steve Carell's character realizes that what the boy has said is like so profound, he doesn't have a comeback for that. He goes, who, who told you that? And the kid goes, I just made it up. And, and he's like baffled by that. Well, the boy in the car starts to pull off and his daughter runs after the car screaming frantically, I love him, I love him. And it's this ridiculous scene. And, and Dan, played by Steve Carell, kind of pulls back and begins talking with his love interest. And you can go to the next slide. And as they watch the girl chase the car frantically, kind of just wildly, she goes, that's sweet. And Dan goes, what's sweet about that? And, and she goes, to feel so much love. Well, Dan is now set up for the, the perfect line that he just heard from the boyfriend he doesn't like. And he goes, love isn't a feeling. And she goes, no. And he trying to impress her, he says, it's an ability. Like 
he made it up, right? But I actually think that's quite a profound way to talk about love. Love isn't a feeling. Love is an ability. Love isn't just something that happens to us. It it happens through us. Love isn't just expressing ourselves. It's expressing God to others. It isn't just accepting. Rather, it is sacrificing. And I think we need to get God's love if we're ever going to really love one another and choose our church family. The great author C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Four Loves. And he was talking about the different kind of love that we have in our human experience. And he, he used these Greek words to capture the different kinds of love. And the first kind of love was an empathy love. It's like, I get what you're going through because I've been through it. Or maybe we're part of something together, and so I love you. The the second kind of love was what he called eros, which where we get the word erotic. We think about sexual love or romantic love or falling in love. And basically, the idea there is you feel a certain way as someone feels that same way about you. And then thirdly, he talked about philea, where we get the world Philadelphia, which is the city of brotherly love, right? And that type of love is based on a relational bond or a friend bond. It's like we, we're in the same family together, so we love each other. Like, I can punch my brother, but if someone else punches my brother, I'm going to fight them because I love my brother. But then Lewis was very profound, and he says, but all those are in the Bible, but it's not primarily the way God talks about love. All those three loves are very common to the human experience, But there's another kind of love that's otherworldly, agape love. And agape love is love that doesn't depend on the other person. It doesn't depend on how you feel. It is a selfless, sacrificial love. Love is then, first of all, a God-given ability. Love is a God-given ability. 1 John 4.10 says this, this is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Love is first of all otherworldly because it's given by God not based on how we make him feel, not based on what we can offer him, but based on the love that he has to give us. He looks at us and he doesn't see projects that he can make a little bit better. He sees people who are in rebellion against him, and yet he is moved to love us, to agape us. Paul puts it this way, um, if there was someone who was good, maybe you would die for them. Or if there was an innocent child who ran in the street, maybe we would give ourselves by running in the street, taking the blow from a car in order to sacrifice ourselves for an innocent child. But what Paul says in Romans 5 is that it's not that way in the gospel. God doesn't look at us and see our potential. Rather, he looks at us and sees how short we have fallen, and yet he's still moved to love. God gives his son for us so that we know we're loved. 
This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. There's the cross. Jesus went to the cross for sinners who didn't deserve it because of love. We are forgiven because of love. We are sinners, but no longer identified as sinners by God because of his love. Not based on who we are or how we make him feel, but on the love that is in him that is completely otherworldly. It's agape love. Love is God-given. But it's a gift given so that we could also give it. That's where, we, that's where we tap into what the guy said. Love is an ability. Love is God given, but it's a gift given so that we could give it. Just three verses earlier, John says, Dear friends, let us love one another. Let us agape. Let us love each other, not based on what the other person gives you or how they make you feel, but let's love selflessly. Because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Love isn't something we drum up. Love is a supernatural ability that God gives us as we receive his love. And we get that through the gospel. The good news of Jesus, that Jesus lived the life you should have lived, but he died the death you deserve to die so that in his death, you might live. Peter puts it this way, since you have purified yourself by your obedience to the truth so that you show sincerely brotherly love, there's phileia, you uh, brotherly love for each other from a pure heart, love, agape, another constantly. How can you give constant love to people that don't necessarily love you back? Well, it's only by receiving that love from God. I mean, do you think that we do a good job loving God back for how he's loved us? No, but he constantly gives us his love. And when you begin to understand that love, it changes your ability to love others. It's so interesting here that Peter says, since you have purified yourself by obedience to the truth, he's talking about the gospel. Sometimes people say religion makes people less loving. Not real Christianity. Real Christianity makes you incredibly loving because you know how far you are from God except for his love. You can't fall out of his love. The love is always initiated by him towards you. And even if you failed yesterday in loving somebody, you get a new opportunity today to love them because of God's love. In 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 12, Paul says, and may the Lord cause you, like he's praying, May the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we do. So that's the amazing thing about God's love is you can admit when you're not feeling it or you don't have it. And by his grace, again, another gift, he fills you up with his love so that you can love other people without expecting anything back from them. And that's why love is a God-given ability. It's a gift given so that we give it to others. But then secondly, love is an action-packed ability. First of all, sometimes love calls us to speak up to other people. Paul writes in, in 1 Thessalonians, encourage one another. 
Like choose words that put courage in other people's hearts and build each other up. Sometimes love calls us to speak up, but a lot of times love calls us to shut up. Over and over in the New Testament, authors say things like, don't complain and don't criticize one another. Sometimes we're called to keep our mouth shut because of love. Now, that doesn't mean we can't tell someone when they're wronging us because we speak the truth in what? In love. Yeah, but that's different than complaining and criticizing. I saw this really funny meme on the internet, and it said, it was talking about speaking in tongues, and it said, sometimes people are so obsessed with speaking tongues in another language, but they need to learn how to shut up in their own language. Sometimes love compels us to keep our mouths shut but it always compels us to take action. 1 Peter 4, 8 through 10 says this, above all, maintain constant love for one another. And then it's not just a feeling. Look, since love covers a multitude of sins, here's the outworking of love. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. There's the shutting up part again, right? Just as each one has received a gift, Use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. Let's break down the love there. First of all, it says love covers a multitude of sins. That doesn't mean we hide sin. It means that we choose to look at people knowing their identity isn't the wrong they've done us. Rather, their identity is that they're loved by Jesus. And when you approach people, first of all, as people who are loved by God, you are giving them grace and love. But what often happens is when people fail us, we choose to see who they are, the totality of who they are, as if they're their sin against us. I mean, that's what cancel culture is all about, right? It's like you look back 10 years and someone wrote something on Twitter and you choose to ruin their whole life based on that one particular thing. We're not called to that. We're called to see others through God's eyes of love, and we're called to welcome one another. In our culture in South Florida, we, um, we have a hospitality culture. But the Bible means something a little bit deeper than that. It, it, it means not just like entertaining other people, but rather being kind and loving strangers, offering of yourself to people you know and people you don't know out of love and then not muttering about it under your breath when you give yourself away. And then lastly, it says that that love serves, right? Use it to serve others as good stewards of the very grace of God. Now, I love those opportunities that you get that are spontaneous when you see someone you know in need and you can like run an errand for them or give them a gift that they need or encourage them or meet someone for coffee. That's serving. That's seeing someone as better than yourself, not belittling yourself, but going, I have love that I can give to them. I can serve them. So there's spontaneous love, but there's also rhythms of love that we can, we can uh, kind of practice every day. So for instance, signing up to serve on a service team, a ministry team on Sunday is a way of expressing love. I'm going to show up one Sunday a month and welcome or sing or be with the kids or or be on one of the other teams. 
out of a way of saying, I love the people here. Now, I know that there's a lot of reasons why people don't serve and don't have a rhythm of serving because they're busy or they're tired or they did it and they didn't like it. But here's a good reason to serve, love. It's a way to show love. It's a way to show love. A couple days ago was Groundhog Day, and I always get confused um, if he sees a shadow, what it means, or if he doesn't see a shadow. You can tell me afterwards, but I know, I know there's not going to be a long winter, which doesn't even really matter for us in South Florida. But in honor of that holiday, uh, we watched uh, Groundhog Day. It's one of my favorite movies. I think, um, I think it's just such a funny movie. And if you know the plot line of the movie, uh, Phil, played by Bill Murray, is a weatherman. And he's like so selfish and so focused on himself and thinks he's better than everybody else. And he goes to, to Puxatawney, Pennsylvania, and he's going to to cover the groundhog coming out of his burrow. And he goes through the whole day of Groundhog Day, and then he goes to bed and he wakes up the next day, and it's Groundhog Day again, and he's confused, right? And then he goes through the end of that day, and it's Groundhog Day again. It's like every day he's the same. He has memories from the day before, but it's a total reset, and it starts February 6th, February 2nd at 6 a.m., Well, a few days in, he realizes that nothing really matters. He can do whatever he wants because at the end of the day, it gets reset. And so he spends the first few days like stealing from a a security car and like using his ability to learn over days and days and days to manipulate women and use them. He is so self-focused and he's like, I'm going to do whatever I want to do until he gets to the end of that and realizes like there's nothing there. Like I've done everything I want to do and there's no life there. And he starts to go through this next stage where he's just in despair because he realizes he has to live this day over and over and over and there's no meaning. And he tries to take his life like several times. But then something interesting happens. It's just like deep change that happens in him as he realizes he's not in control of his life. All he can control is what he does in one day. And that relinquishing of control really gives him this deep inward humility. And at the end of the movie, he's a completely changed person. Every day is scheduled around these rhythms of love. Now, rather than using this reset to gain knowledge and do whatever he wants to do, he uses that reset every day to gain knowledge about how he can serve people out of love. And so every day at a certain time, he runs to this tree where he knows this boy is going to fall out of the tree and he catches him every day, every reset. He does it every day out of love. And every day he he knows there are these women who are going to have a flat tire and he goes every day and fixes their flat tire. He even starts learning new skills like ice sculpting and the piano because he can learn this stuff every day, but he uses those things to serve other people. What has happened to Phil is what happens to us in the gospel, but on a much deeper level. Phil is just out of control in his life and he just chooses, I'm gonna just enjoy the moment. But you and I have been infused with a deep, deep love from God that ignites love in us. It changes us so that we see others as more important than ourselves. See, the ability to love ignites from something that happens inside of us. 
just like Phil went through. Our ability to love ignites from an inner infusion. James 5.16 says this. It says, confess your sins one to another. And first of all, we can see that as a command, something that we're supposed to do. But if we look a little bit deeper, like why would we tell other people what's wrong with us? Because the gospel has gotten a hold of us on a deep level that we feel secure enough to tell people what's wrong with us because we know that God's love will be present when we do. Confess your sins one to another and be healed. Then Ephesians 4.2 says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep unity, to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Why in the world would you bear with someone who annoys you? Why in the world would you stick it out in a relationship with someone who's completely frustrated with you? It's because the gospel has gotten a hold of you in your inmost part, and you realize that you are completely frustrating to God, and yet he still loves you. He is so patient with you when you're rebellious. He is so patient with you when you ignore him. He is so patient with you when he says, come this way and you go the other way. Even though you can be completely frustrating, God moves towards you in love. And when you get that on a deep level, it infuses to be part of who you are and it spills out to others. In fact, it's this simple. Ephesians 4.32 says, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you. How has God forgiven you? Fully, lavishly, without reservation, never wanting you to question his love at all. In a way that he wants you to feel completely sure and completely secure that you are loved. He never withholds his love to manipulate you. He always affirms his love of you. You have been completely and fully forgiven. To say it one way, you are not paroled, you are pardoned. John Tyson said it this way, you are not on parole, you are forgiven and loved. Jesus has made a full atonement for your sin. He's not co-signed a loan that you pay back. Christ died to bring you to God, not give you the chance to earn your way home. Jesus became sin so we can become righteousness, not give us a chance to change. And when you realize how lavish God's love is through his forgiveness, when you realize how secure he wants you to feel in his love, when he realizes that he doesn't, when you realize he doesn't dangle it over your head and threaten to withhold it, it allows you to be changed in an inward part where love spills out of you. And so when we call each other to love one another, to choose the church family, we're not saying good Christians do this, good Christians go to church and good Christians love each other. No, that's been settled in the gospel. We're not good people, but we are loved people. We are forgiven people. We are pardoned people. And when you begin to understand that, it changes who you are in the deepest part of who you are. Brennan Manning said it this way, 
my deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ. And I have done nothing to earn it or deserve it. See, part of the ability that we have as Christians is getting the love of God into the deepest part of who we are. I mean, if someone asked you about you, you might tell them what you do as for a living. You might tell them about how your week went. What if what naturally came out of you was, my name is John, and I am one who doesn't deserve this, but God deeply loves me, and I know it for certain because Jesus Christ died in my place. God wants you to have that confidence that that springs out of your heart. Because if you get it in the deep part of your heart that you are loved by God, you will be secure and love will spill out of you to love others. The deepest awareness of yourself is that you are deeply loved by Jesus and have done nothing to earn it or deserve it. Do you see how being formed by the love of God leads us to flourishing and loving others? We go back to that daily. I am loved by God, and therefore, I love others. I choose the church family because God has chosen me. I love my brothers and sisters because I am loved by God. Thank you for joining with us as we rooted deep in God's word. If you found this sermon encouraging, share it with a friend. You can learn more about New City by going to newcityhh.com or checking us out on social media by searching New City HH. We'll see you next week.